Today's reading is from Mark 5, 21 through 43. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him. My daughter is about to die. Please, come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, don't you see the crowd pressing against you? Yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, healed from your disease. While Jesus was still speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house, saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard the report and said to the synagogue leader, Don't be afraid. Just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, James' brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house, and he saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, What's all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then, taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went to the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talatha kum, which means, young woman, get up. Suddenly, the young woman got up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told to them, give her something to eat. As I said in this week's email, I do believe in some divine appointments. What I mean by that is that sometimes I experience things that, well, it can't be happenstance. It can't be just chance. It's a divine moment, a holy moment. And the divine moment came in amidst the panic that seemed to have gripped us as a culture called a coronavirus. Now, I'm not discounting what has been said, nor should we disregard the cautious nature that we are taking. What I am talking about is a sense of panic that has overcome us. That feeling, well, that we are adrift at the seas and the gale-forced winds have picked up. Like we are the disciples caught in a storm and we're beginning to panic. Where is Jesus in all of this? Why is he napping? One of my favorite statements by another pastor friend of mine, Gabe Coyle, has said it, has said many a times that we are human before we are Christians. And I believe that it is human to panic as the disciples panicked. But just as the disciples did, we must run to Jesus and know and trust that even though it feels like Jesus is sleeping, he has us. We must keep our faith and we must be as so that we can be in awe of what the calmness of Christ can bring among our own raging seas. Well, 
In today's sermon, we find ourselves in a little literary device called the Marcan Sandwich. Now, this sounds much more delicious than it actually is. Basically, what happens is there's a couple of times throughout Mark uh, that Jesus will start something, get interrupted to do the exact thing that he started, and then come back to that original thing. The chain of stories always serves as a critique on an original action. And this week's is about healing and social positions in relation to the kingdom of God. Scripture starts with Jesus being encountered by Jairus, a leader in the synagogue. Now, Jairus being named is important. Well, it shows that this person is a big deal. As you have noticed uh, me mentioning a couple of times throughout the series, we need to pay attention when things are named. Last week, the name Legion, and this week, our synagogue leader is named Jairus. What's weird about this interaction is that Jairus comes to ask Jesus for the healing for his daughter. And as you have probably noticed at this point, the synagogue leaders do not look highly on Jesus. And in fact, a couple of chapters earlier, you heard that they are beginning to start to conspire to kill him. And yet Jairus' daughter is dying because that's the thing about death. It equalizes everything. No matter how rich or how poor, powerful or powerless, death comes for us all. And to watch your daughter dying, Jairus would do anything to save her, even if it's putting faith in something that is tearing down the very foundation of the system that he believes in. For Jairus, he saw the cost to follow Christ, giving up his old life, and for the sake of healing his daughter, it was counted as worth it. Christ hears this man's plea and goes to heal him. But there's this interruption in the story as Jesus is making his way through the city. A woman touches the hem of his cloak and he is healed. Now I've mentioned this a time or two before, but I used to work at a summer Christian sports camp called Summer Games. During the day we would have huddle times, which is where these mini Bible studies throughout the day that uh, the individual leaders have prepared. The leaders could teach on anything, so it was up to the leader to prepare so many studies for each week. Now, our huddle's ages, the kids in the group, range from 6th grade to high school, so your lessons had to be engaging on multiple levels. On the day that we would offer uh, that the night service would be about prayer for healing, I would always give this story as my night lesson, the story of a wound being healed by touching the hem of his cloak. I'll try not to channel too much of that moment teaching in the hot summer sun, But I cannot make any guarantees that this sermon does not end up in a camp-style revival. This woman should not have been in this city. She was unclean. She was bleeding and some translated as far as hemorrhaging for 12 years. And not to go too graphic on you, but this was probably related to menstruation. Because of all of this, she was declared unclean and could not be near her family anymore. She could not be close to temple. She could not be close to to God. She had given everything she had to try to figure this out. She had spent all of her money, seen every doctor. She had tried everything, and yet she continued to hurt, and she continued to bleed. When someone suffers chronically like this, something happens to you mentally. You kind of begin to think that you deserve your suffering. You are perhaps a bad person, and you deserve this pain. You deserve to be the outsider. When the pain becomes all you know, you begin to try to take it on as identity. And she knew pain. Not just the physical weight of what she was going through, but the emotional weight as well. But then she heard about Jesus. 
about the man who heals. He was going to walk through the city, and if she could just get close enough, maybe, maybe if I just touched the hem of his cloak, I could be healed. I could be free again. But to get that close to Christ, I would have to go into the city, and if I get seen in the city, I could get stoned to death. But at this point, that might be better than continuing to carry this burden. It will be worth it to see Christ, to touch Christ. Will it actually be worth it? And then this holy moment happens, you know, this divine moment where she takes up her cross and dies to herself, letting go of everything in hopes that Christ will heal her. And Christ shows up even in the spite of him, even not knowing it really. The healing comes from Christ. The spiritual power leaves him. And he turns around and asks, Who touched me? Now, fear had to strike deep into this woman's heart. She was not supposed to be there after all. And now, even though the burden had been lifted, at what cost? Because Jesus noticed it. And Jesus called out the situation. Think about this. The man who is responsible for healing for teaching the one who was uh, appointed by God, anointed by God, has just noticed that she may have taken something, a healing that wasn't meant for her because after all, remember, she had been declared unclean and she had touched a holy person. The disciples say to Jesus, how could you know if someone touched you? You're, You're surrounded by people. People are just pushing into you. But Jesus said that he still noticed that. And in in that little statement of Jesus saying, I still noticed it, I feel such a sense of hope that even in the midst of a crowded room, Jesus still sees you. For me, when I was 16 and lost, in the midst of a crowded room, Jesus saw me. And for you, wherever you are, Right now, however you're listening to this, in the midst of the billions of people on the earth, Christ knows you, knows what you need, and knows what healing you need to receive, knows that healing, that void, that block that's keeping you apart. Christ knows you. And I want you to feel that in this very moment, right now, that Christ knows you. He knows where you're hurting. He knows what you need healing from. And he waits for you to reach out, to perhaps just touch the hem of his cloak. And when you do, he knows it was you because Christ knows you. Sorry, I'm probably getting a little too campy, but it's a point of belabor because it's a point that means a lot to me every single day that Christ knows me, and amidst all the noise and haste that this world could cause, amidst the chaos of the sea, amidst all of the unknowing and fear, amidst the billions of people crying out, Christ still knows me. And Christ knew her, and knew that she had been gone through up to this point, and lets her know that she has been healed, that her faith had healed her. Her faith that she took when it was a risk to follow, if she would, the risk that she took to get too close, but getting that close to Christ is what actually healed her. When she gave up everything, only then was she free to do anything. 
And our faith, our faith needs to mimic this woman's faith. Because we're all bleeding internally from something. Whether it's small or large, we all hurt. We all hold on to things that have hurt us and that are continuing to hurt us. Or there will be things in our future that will hurt us. We can try the things of this world to stop that hurt. And we should. Christ does not tell this woman she did wrong by seeking medical help. But the truth is that there is only some things that Christ can heal. There are wounds that are too deep, injuries so severe, burdens so heavy, that only Christ can lift them. And to recognize when we need to go to Christ as well, to have that faith that Christ can and that Christ will heal you. Don't let the hurt overbecome, overcome you and become who you are, because that is not who you are. You are a daughter of Christ. You are a son of Christ. You are loved, and do not let pain take that away from you. Do not believe that pain is love. Love is love. And as simple as that may sound, we sometimes have a hard time believing that. That love is simply love. And as these moments begin to fade, Jesus is met with a messenger from Jerry's family. Remember him from the beginning of the story. The synagogue leader who had to humble himself to ask for healing from Jesus. Well, that messenger says, Y'all were too delayed too long. The daughter is dead. Why even bother Jesus any longer? Imagine the father's anxiety and sadness coming up at that moment, bubbling up inside of his soul. If that person, that woman, that untouchable woman never touched Jesus, then maybe Jesus would have gotten there in time. Maybe if I humbled myself sooner and asked Jesus sooner, then maybe, maybe Jesus would have gotten there in time. Maybe if I had used my authority to clear a way, maybe if I did this, maybe if I did that, all of this bargaining means nothing because my daughter is dead. The light has left my world. My hope is gone. And Jesus, sensing this change in Jairus, tells him to just wait, to trust, and to believe. And Jesus is with him. And amidst that sea of panic, anxiety, and sadness, Jairus finds his boat. Jairus finds his boat suddenly caught up in. Jesus says, "Do not panic." Trust in me and do not be afraid, for I am with you. They get to their house and the mourners are already there. This is a, another cultural point that's a bit lost on us today. Back in the time of Christ, there were professional mourners almost. People who you would pay to come and cry and wail to show your mourning because the more people you had mourning, the louder your mourners were, the more important you were. It was a status symbol to have mourners mourning the loss. And once again, since Jairus was an important person, peoples and the professionals had gathered to mourn Jairus' loss. This is why it appears that Jesus is a bit annoyed. He isn't annoyed that they're mourning. He's annoyed that people have come to take advantage of a situation and are exploiting Jairus' hurt. They begin to laugh at Jesus and he throws them out of the house. And this is where a certain tension begins to build. Once again, we need to try to put ourselves in the mind that we're reading this for the very first time. Or like the disciples, 
We've been along for a journey. We've been following Christ and seeing the things that he has done. But I do not know if you could ever really be prepared for what comes next. Jesus goes in to a, a room where a little girl lay dead and says she is simply sleeping. He tells her to get up. Tarih koham. Get up. And she gets up. And this is the first resurrection the disciples witness. And it is the first one that Christ has performed. He has casted out demons. He has healed the sick. He has restored sight to the blind. He has made the lame walk. And now it seems he has made the dead come back to life. Sure, we can explain it away. Perhaps, perhaps she wasn't all the way dead. Maybe she was just in a coma. Maybe she was in a fever sleep. But Christ just simply healed her. But that isn't what's important here. What is important is that Christ has done yet another amazing thing. He has seemed to bring the dead to life. And it was because Jairus had the faith to go humble himself, to go to Christ. And then even when the bad news came and the seas began to roar, he trusted in Jesus. And out of that situation that seemed so dire, that seemed dead, Christ brought life. The broken have been restored. The dead are raised to life. The burden is lifted. She was set free. We will all be set free. The Marcan sandwich of two healings. The healing of Jairus' daughter served as the bread encasing the story of a woman who had bled for many years. The woman's faith is made to mirror Jairus in a way that they both had to have faith in a similar way. They had to give up everything that made them in order to experience Christ. And in that, they were healed through that experience. There is also a dynamic here at play that I alluded to earlier. There is a power dynamic here that Christ is speaking to. Jairus, being the important synagogue leader, should have had his request filled, right? He was the first one to ask. He was the most important. He had the biggest economic impact on the city that he lived in. He had the biggest social footprint. Shouldn't Jesus have filled his request first? But Jesus doesn't work that way, does he? Jesus does not care for who you are or who you think you are, rather. Just as Jesus can be pressed on by the hundreds, but still feel you touch the hem of his cloak. Jesus sees us all equally. We're all human. There is no power dynamic over who gets healing from Christ or who gets these holy moments. That is alone for Christ to decide. And sometimes we get upset that Christ is this way, right? Just like sometimes we get upset that Jesus is maybe napping on the boat. Sometimes we feel like, Jesus, I got to you first. I have the more important impact on society. I am more important. Help me first. And while these stories serve as a reminder that God does not work this way, Christ does not work this way. Christ does as Christ does. And God will always do as God will always do. We do not get to know the turn of events, know the importance of perceived inaction or perceived action. We do not get to know why some people we pray for die and why some people we pray for get healed. 
We do not get to know why some people get wealth and others do not. We do not get to know why God does. Why God does. But rather we have to trust through stories like this that Christ sees us all as equals. And in that equality, when we put our trust in Christ, that if he cares for one of us, that serves as an example that he will care for all of us. That if Christ cares for the one, then he will care for the all. And I believe that may offer us comfort in the season that we may find ourselves in right now. While panic seems closer and fear seems even closer sometimes, let us remember whose we are, that in Christ we have been made found. Let us remember that since Christ cares for us, one of us, he will care for all of us. We need to trust in him and continue the good work that the Lord has placed before us to pray for those who are sick and for those who will come into the economic hardships because of shutdowns, slowdowns, and cancellations to be the good work that Christ has called us to be here on earth, to be the body of Christ here on earth, to be the hands and feet that Christ has called us to be on earth, here on earth. And when it comes down to Please remember to wash your hands. Amen.